David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin Ant, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.39 a.m. Central Daylight Time, September the 20th, 2019. This is episode 140 of Bitcoin and, and it's late. It's 10.40 at this point. Oh my God, dude. I'm yeah. is was just one of those mornings where everything just went kaplooey. So yeah, yeah, that's what happens. So anyway, we're, we're going to do our best to get through the chicanery and some good news of the day. We're going to start with absolute bollocks crap. This is out of vice. North Korea is building its own Bitcoin. <laughs> I'm sure that'll work out fine. This is David Gilbert writing September the 18th. The currency will be more like Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, said the official in charge of North Korea's cryptocurrency conferences. North Korea is in the early stages of developing its own cryptocurrency in a bid to avoid crippling international sanctions and circumvent the U.S.-dominated global financial system, a representative from the regime told Vice News. Pyongyang has long shown an interest in cryptocurrencies, with the country recently bringing together homegrown experts with foreign companies at its first ever blockchain and cryptocurrency conference in April. The digital currency, which doesn't even have a name yet, will be more like Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, said Alejandro Cao de Benos, the official in charge of North Korea's cryptocurrency conferences and a special delegate for the Committee of Cultural Relations for the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. Quote, we are still in the very early stages in the creation of the token, and now we are in the phase of studying the goods that will give it value to give value to it, said Cao de Benos, adding that there are no plans to digitize the North Korean won for now. North Korea's embassy to the United Nations in New York would neither confirm nor deny Cao de Benos's claim. Quote, I am not in a position to give you an answer, end quote, an embassy spokesperson said before hanging up. But but close watchers of the regime's use of cryptocurrencies told Vice News that North Korea already has the expertise needed to build and deploy its own cryptocurrency that could help the North Koreans avoid sanctions. You might want to consider, this is me talking, you might want to consider being able to, oh, I don't know, keep the lights on at night. If you've ever seen a satellite image of the Korean peninsula, North Korea during the night is completely dark. South Korea is lit up like Tokyo, all right? So I'm not sure how they're going to be able to pull this off considering that their infrastructure, whatever. Continuing on, quote, North Korea has shown an extensive interest in cryptocurrency, showing expertise in mining, hacking exchanges, crypto jacking, and more. Kyla Esmond, 
a research analyst at London-based think tank, the Royal United Services Institute, told Vice News, quote, There is absolutely no doubt that they have the technical expertise to develop and utilize almost any iteration of cryptocurrency, whether that means laundering a previously established coin, such as Bitcoin, through foreign unregulated exchanges or creating a nationalized cryptocurrencies for themselves. For North Korea, it's worth trying. While Bitcoin offers some anonymity, it has become easier for law enforcement and governments to track Bitcoin payments across the world. And by building their own cryptocurrency, Pyongyang would be able to control how it works and who has access to it. Jesus. The same reason countries like Russia and the same reason countries like Russia, Venezuela, and Iran have explored similar projects. The secretive country has report repeatedly turned to cryptocurrencies to raise cash through illegal avenues. Recently, North Korean hackers were accused of stealing cryptocurrencies, mining them, and using them to avoid restrictions imposed on traditional banking systems by international sanctions. North Korea also uses Bitcoin as a preferred currency for ransomware attacks on the West. Pyongyang's infamous state-sponsored hackers have helped amass more than $2 billion U.S. in fiat and digital currency in recent years, to help pay for the country's weapons program, according to a United Nations report seen by Associated Press last month, a claim Pyongyang subsequently denied. Its interest in the, blo- <clears throat> in the blockchain is not limited to simply stealing Bitcoin, however. In 2018, Jonathan Fiat Ka Kyong, a captain based in Singapore, according to his now defunct LinkedIn profile, who the UN says has been helping North Korea evade sanctions since 2013, established a company in Hong Kong called Marine Chain that sold digital tokens in exchange for partial ownership of maritime vessels. Oh, my God. According to a UN investigation, quote, the platform could be used to generate money for the regime and as a potential means of evading sanctions on shipping by creating a new method of obscuring the ownership of a vessel. Uh, it's no, no. In continuing in 2017, Pyongyang's university of science and technology began offering undergraduates a crash course in cryptocurrencies and blockchain. Frederica Tanga, the Italian founder of Bitcoin startup Chainside, traveled to Pyongyang to teach more than three dozen of the country's elite students about Bitcoin and blockchain technology that underpendence, underpins it. Now, he says, the country certainly has the capability to build its own digital coin. Quote, developing a digital token does not require too much expertise, and for sure, North Korea has enough human capital to hand- handle this, Tanga told Vice News. But while experts believe Pyongyang is capable of building its own cryptocurrency, they're far from convinced the project will be remotely successful, case in point, Venezuela's failed petrocoin, which experts ultimately viewed as a propaganda exercise rather than a sincere effort to build a new monetary system. Cao de Banos' claim uh, claims some foreign companies Companies even signed contracts with the North Korean government to develop blockchain systems in areas like education, medicine, and finance. However, he added that none of the big names attending the conference or signing contracts could be revealed due to sanctions and fake news. Last week, Cao DeBanos announced the second blockchain conference scheduled for, for February, which again will exclude journalists from attending, though U.S. citizens are welcome. Yeah, 
you go to that. I'm going to stay here. Those looking to take part will need to send a CV, a scan of their passport, and a home address in order to be considered. Successful applicants will need to hand over $3,750 U.S. Cao de Benos is an, an unlikely booster for Pyongyang's crypto ambitions. The Spanish national, who is the only Westerner known to be working directly for the North Korean regime, readily admits he's not a blockchain expert, but says, quote, I know the basics, follow the market and its developments, end quote. God, what could possibly go wrong? Kaudabanos was behind the country's first website back in 2000, and he created the Korean Friendship Association as a club for fans of the despotic regime. His long relationship with Pyongyang has seen him granted honorary North Korean citizenship, and he regularly appears on TV around the world as a spokesperson for the regime, typically wearing a North Korean military uniform heavy with state medals. Jesus. It's just a damn circus. He was also arrested for possessing unlicensed firearms in Spain in 2016. Though North Korean officials won't divulge who will be attending its blockchain conference next February, experts believe that Russia could have a significant presence. The two countries have sought closer trading links in recent years, epitomized by Russian President Vladimir Putin's first ever meeting with Kim Jong-un in Vladivostok earlier this year. Quote, the Russian government and Russian companies have been involved in a number of blockchain and cryptocurrency projects around the world. Andy Fixler, an expert on sanctions and illicit finance at the conservative Washington-based think tank Foundation for Defense of Democracy, told Vice News, quote, If there is a strong Russian participation in the conference, that might indicate a level of seriousness and maturity. Russia, together with Iran and Venezuela, have all voiced interest in creating nationalized cryptocurrencies in the past, which their leaders paint as tools to offset United States financial power and increase sanctions resistance. But Pyongyang will need to convince international partners that its version of Bitcoin is actually worth using. And one way of doing this is to show its digital coin can circumvent Western sanctions. Quote, Washington's use of sanctions now is reliant on the dollar's role in the global financial system. United States sanctions have significant secondary effects because non-U.S. banks can't risk losing access to dollar transactions by doing business with sanctioned persons, Fixler said. Quote, if, if transactions can flow easily around the world without touching the dollar, then nations like North Korea are insulated from U United States sanctions. So, yeah, nation-state level shit coinery at its finest. No, that's not going to work. They can't keep the lights on. They don't have the infrastructure to be... They might be able to make one, but running one and building one are two completely different things. Because if they really want this shit to work, it really needs to be de decentralized, which means that it's going to need value to be able to be mined across the world instead of just in North Korea, because if they do it just in North Korea, they're going to, I, I just don't see it. I, I don't see them having the infrastructure to be able to do something like this. So eh, you take it for what it's worth. Uh, although sanctions resistant coin sounds like a good name, you know, that just throwing that out there. Panda crypto malware group has nabbed $100,000 in Monero since 2018. This is Coindesk's Daniel Palmer writing yesterday. A cybersecurity firm has identified a group behind a spate of cryptocurrency mining malware attacks that have been targeting enterprises across the globe. 
said to have already scooped up almost $100,000 at current prices in the Monero cryptocurrency via its malicious software packages, the group has been dubbed Panda by the team that identified it last summer, the Cisco Talos Intelligence Group. Talos said in a report on Tuesday that Panda's employees employs remote access tools and crypto mining malware to exploit vulnerable web applications and manages to access networks of companies internationally. Its use of remote access tools puts organizations at risk of the hacking group using their networks for crypto mining purposes or theft of information, according to Talos. Quote, this is far from the most sophisticated actor we've ever seen, but it still has been one of the most active attackers we've seen in Cisco's Cisco Talos threat trap data, the team said. The group has proven adept at updating its tools as they are discovered in something of an arms race with security researchers. Talos indicates that Panda, har- Panda harnesses exploits previously employed by Shadow Broker, a group notorious for publishing hacking tools stolen from the United States National Security Agency and Mimikatz, open source software that is able to steal passwords from computer memory. Talos said it has identified successful and widespread malware campaigns associated with Panda after identifying the group in 2018. Since then, Panda has upgraded its infrastructure, exploits, and payloads. The researchers said, quote, We believe Panda is a legitimate threat capable of spreading cryptocurrency miners that can use up valuable computing resources and slow down networks and systems. Talos confirmed that organizations in the banking, healthcare, transportation, telecommunications, IT service industries were affected by in these campaigns. While the group may not be the most sophisticated, Talos warned that the system administrators and researchers should never underestimate the damage an actor can do with widely available tools such as Mimikatz. It calculated that Panda has mined around 1,215 Monero, worth around $91,000 at press time since it started operations. Okay, so they mentioned banking, healthcare, transportation, telecommunications, IT service industries. You know, what they're not talking about is educational uh, educational institutions. Some of the finest computing hardware in the world, and a shit ton of it, is at colleges and universities around the globe. I come from Texas Tech, and I saw firsthand uh, our compute power, and it's it was kind of humbling that this these racks upon racks upon racks of GPUs and CPUs uh, in tandem were crunching out as much numbers. And I don't have those numbers offhand, but I just remember being in there and walking to the front of the, of the machine where the air goes in to cool it. And it's like, you know, wearing a coat in there, it's like 50 degrees and then walking around to the backside of it and having to take the coat off. And this was huge. And if somehow or another, these dipshits are able to put their payload into this computer, and even even if it's not discovered for and be and able to be like you know taken down inside of a few hours, man, that's a lot of compute power. And if you multiply that by a whole bunch of colleges and universities, well, you got real problems. And the other people that have problems are research institutions of like um, oh um, Los Alamos. 
and the people that you know, they're, I'm pretty sure they don't keep a supercomputer, you know, of, of any huge size at Los Alamos, but they are, but you know, you've got institutional level supercomputers across the world that are not at education, but they're also not part of healthcare, transportation, banking, and it's all small fry shit. So if somehow or another, these guys are able to install their stuff and it becomes a problem on these supercomputers. That's a lot of compute power that you can leverage against uh, any, any chain. And that pretty much includes Bitcoin too. But it seems like they're only mostly, <clears throat> mostly uh, interested in the uh, shit coins. So moving on, speaking of more, more, even more shit coinery, everyone's worst fears about EOS are proving true. This is Coindesk's Brady Dale writing yesterday. In early September, one of the small companies that helped get the EOS blockchain off the ground called it quits. <clears throat> EOS Tribe, which participated in, in the launch of the first EOS chain, announced on Steemit that it was stepping away from EOS as a block producer candidate, focusing on other blockchains and other implementations of the EOS IO software. EOS Tribe's e Eugene Luzgan wrote in a post, quote, we at EOS Tribe have never participated in the game of vote trading and stayed true to all our principles. And hence, while we leave EOS as block producer, we are also free to speak the truth and give warnings to the rest, end quote. Which, as they say, is a lot to unpack. Luzgan left, in short, because he said it was it is no longer possible to earn funds for maintaining the blockchain without support from major EOS whales, the colloquial term for those with very large token holdings. Those whales are overwhelmingly supporting BPs located in China. There are 21 BPs at any time who establish consensus on the chain, make governance decisions, and earn substantial rewards. This has become a widespread point of concern among longtime participants in the EOS community for reasons that include centralization and threatened censorship resistance, according to an investigation by Coindesk. The BP, block producer, that Luzgan believes have the strongest technical proficiency have overwhelmingly been relegated to lower tier rewards or no rewards at all. Quote, they effectively have a brain drain now, Luzgan told Coindesk in an interview. He's not alone in his concerns, though it might be easy to dismiss doubters' complaints as a simple east-west divide. Two EOS constituencies that literally speak different languages failing to build a consensus about the protocol. There is no perverse smoking gun showing that the present configuration of BPs is bad for the $3.8 billion blockchain, but there is a mountain of evidence bolstering the case for concern. EOS is the world's seventh largest blockchain by market cap as of this writing. It went live in June of 2018 after a year-long initial coin offering that raised $4.1 billion in crypto for Block.1 and a tumultuous process following the release of EOS IO software the code that powers EOS and its forks. The chief feature of EOS was always its most controversial. EOS uses a consensus model called delegated proof of stake, where higher throughput is achieved by decreasing the number of nodes that participate in consensus. Before EOS launched, the configuration was widely panned by crypto investors as too centralized. Blockchain's capitals Spencer Bogart shared an opinion held by many in April 2018 when he wrote the blockchains that compromise or permission on permissionlessness, quote, will end up as a less, less efficient varieties of today's centralized platforms, end quote. 
delegated proof of stake can take on many forms, but on EOS, 21 nodes have all the power over the chain. These 21 nodes are chosen by token holders who stake EOS coins in a vote for up to 30, uh, oh God, 30 block producers. The ones with the most votes serve in the top 21 and the vote is effectively continuous. This means block producers can move in and out of the top 21 at almost any time. As of this writing, a majority of the BPs indicate their location as within China. Sources tell Coindesk that multiple others are also located in China despite outward appearances. Coindesk surveyed all of the BPs as of September the 6th with questions about what they viewed their role on the blockchain to be and how they were supporting its users. Six sent back detailed answers. Coindesk found no way to contact three others. The top 21 earned significant revenue and another roughly 50, this number is not fixed, earned meaningful revenue by uh, by standby BPs both sharing a portion of the 1% annual inflation of EOS tokens. With EOS Tribe's departure, Aaron Cox of Gray Mass, a BP candidate, told Coindesk, quote, I can't help but to think that's the new trend. This downward spiral, which ultimately is just a race to the bottom, isn't a good situation to be in as rent seekers continue to take over. And if it continues, we'll probably become more dire as more of us are cut off. Many block producers that once that were once often seen in the top 21 now no longer even qualify for rewards as standby BPs, including BP candidates such as Eosphere, Shios, Eos Amsterdam, Eos Detroit, Eos Dublin, and Eos Venezuela. Greg Simpson built eDNA, which is designed to enable users to monetize their genetic information with the original EOS in mind. eDNA is a decentralized application running on the software Block One created. But these days, he's he- he's hedging by using EOS and its two main forks, Telos and Warbly, because of uncertainty about EOS due to what he perceives as inadequate governance. Still, he's not ready to give up yet. This has been a rapidly changing space. Quote, it wasn't this space three months ago, and it won't be the same space three months from now, Simpson said. Really, no one can project out what it's going to look like in a year. Either way, EOS has not proved to be the high-throughput chain beloved by enterprise clients that its progenitors touted it to be. Mainly, it has become a chain for running gambling dApps. Luzgan lamented developers who have put all their creativity into EOS, moving down into standby, BP, or even unpaid status. He pointed to companies like Bitfinex and Huobi, who are participating in its consensus. Quote, EOS is just a side gig for them. It's an extra revenue, Luzgan said, comparing the exchanges to companies that are all in on the block, p- blockchain's potential. Quote, that view is very different. They aren't really participating in the community. End quote. Huobi and Bitfinex were among a handful of BPs that never replied to Coindesk's inquiries. <laughs> nice. Uh, EOS has faced skepticism from a broader crypto world from the start. Shortly after EOS launched, crypto scions looked at askance again when the leading BPs moved to a right or to right or wrong. Among their first collective acts, BPs froze seven accounts that had been shown to hold stolen tokens, tokens attained by tricking users in, during the migration of assets from Ethereum, upon which Block 1 ran the token sale to the actual EOS blockchain. God, scumbags, man. The decision to freeze those accounts presaged the controversy the blockchain is facing now because the top BPs did so without any kind of agreed-upon governance process. 
a constitution has been drafted, but it had not passed a referendum of EOS users. It was never entirely clear where legitimacy originated from on EOS, but when the chain started, 15% of the tokens needed to be staked for a vote in order for it to launch. So that 15% figure became the consensus figure for giving a governance document legitimacy but it never happened. That consensus was documented as a rule in a draft constitution that never got ratified. One of the BPs at the time, EOS New York, wrote after the vote to freeze the seven accounts about its ambivalence in freezing funds without any legitimized authority to do so. The organization's statement read, quote, As a community, it should be our top priority to develop mechanisms that are capable of pulling the token holder community and obtaining the on-chain consensus required to move issues like the Constitution forward. EOS New York was one of the original 21 BPs at the chain's launch. Eventually, EOS would jettison the whole idea of a constitution for governing the chain. Dissatisfaction in the community around governance would grow, which brings us to today. Brock Pierce, an early member of the Block One team and still an active member in the EOS community, would make waves in June 2019 with a speech at the Tulip Conference when he suggested that EOS is now governed by a Chinese oligarchy. Oh, God. And it just, this one is really long. It just goes on and on. But clearly, like so many other projects, EOS is falling apart. It's been a shit coin from the start. It's going to be a shit coin tomorrow. It's going to be a shit coin the day after that. If you're an EOS holder, not at financial advice people, but I would get out of those bags as fast as I possibly could because this is just a shit show. Uh, you, that thing, that constitution was supposed to be written in every block. It's never even been ratified. Nobody seems to know who the hell's in, you know, in charge. And there should not be anybody. The, that's the thing. There shouldn't be anybody in charge. The fact that they're freaking out that they can't figure that out means that they don't really know what any of this stuff is about. I just, I take it as a failed project. Moving on, Helen Parts is writing for Cointelegraph. The former Overstock CEO sells his entire 13% stake in the firm for $90 million. Sounds like he's going to go all in. Let's check it out. Uh, Patrick Byrne, who resigned from Overstock on August the 22nd, cashed out nearly 4.8 million Overstock shares, which accounts for more than 13% of the company, American financial publication MarketWatch reported on September the 19th. According to a filing with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, the former CEO was selling his shares at lower and lower prices over the past three days, ranging from $21.84 on September the 16th to $16.32 on September the 18th. God, so a whale just crashed the, the, their share price. That that dude, I don't know what he suffered. I don't know if it was a brain aneurysm or, or what, what, but it that whole thing was so weird. And here he is selling 13% on the market of the company that he helped build and it just tanks the stock price as, as you would expect. Continuing on. Following the filing, Byrne published a public letter titled, quote, A Message to My Former Colleagues at Overstock in which he revealed his plans to stop trading anything else except the three assets that are countercyclical to the economy, including gold, silver, and two flavors of crypto. In the blog post, Byrne explained his choice to trade gold and silver because they are stored outside of the U.S., while it will be safe for him to have the assets stored in Switzerland and some other locations that are out of reach of the deep state. 
<laughs> concerning crypto, Byrne wrote, quote, the crypto is stored in the place where all crypto is stored in mathematical mist behind long keys held, I got probably long held keys only in the memory of someone who was quite good at storing such things in memory. Oh God, I hope you don't get a, like a stroke or something, dude. Overstock saw its shares hitting a 52-week high last week amid the upcoming special dividend planned for next week, according to MarketWatch. But Burns cashing out caused a notable slip of the OSTK shares, which reportedly dropped 21% on September the 16th, 11% on September the 17th, and 8% on Wednesday. At press time, OSTK is down 3.5%, trading at $15.60. Jeez. Recently, Overstock's interim CEO insisted that Burns from the company has nothing to do with an ongoing regulatory investigation by the SEC, which was first revealed in December of 2017. Still, Burns' move appears to have affected Overstock as one of the key corporate investors in blockchain subsidiary T0 backed out from the investment four days after Byrne announced his resignation. Uh, resignations. My God. Wow. From like, just market selling all 13% of a, of a, of overstock. Could you imagine he's, I mean, like, doesn't this man now, isn't he just like walking around with a massive target on his back for doing this shit? I mean, couldn't he have done an OTC, you know, where it's not, where he doesn't broadcast that he's, you know, selling everything at, you know, market. Pro- I don't know, man. I don't know. I should really learn a hell of a lot more about trading, but that just seems, that seems just to be the way of it, that if you want to crash something, then you sell it a, a shit ton of it on market. If you want to get the best price that you can, you auction it off OTC so that the price is never really broadcast and it's all done in private. This guy decided to just pull his pants down and, and take a giant dump on a company that he helped found. And I just, I, I don't get that, man. I just, I don't. I don't. All right. Um, Square Crypto's in the news. Now, I don't have a story for this, but Square Crypto tweets out Steve Lee, Matt Corallo, the guy who writes these tweets. If you thought we already had the Bitcoin Dream Team, think again. Please welcome Valentine Wallace, Jeffrey Szyz. It's C-Z-Y-Z, and I cannot pronounce that. And Eric Sossman, to square crypto. So they just like, they, they just brought the hammer down without any, without anything. They added like from, you know, kind of like looking into the background of these three gentlemen, it looks as if these, these people are like just as, as good as it gets. So square crypto, not to be outdone by pretty much anybody is marching, marching on, um, so in kind of related to that, Colin Harper is writing for Bitcoin magazine, uh, September the 19th zaps Olympus features fiat to lightning on ramp with direct wallet deposits. Jack Mallers, man. Zap wallet will soon let you buy Bitcoin in the app and deposit the sats directly into your lightning wallet after each buy. If you want, you can buy Bitcoin inside of Zap with a bank account, debit card, Zelle, whatever, and it will give you Bitcoins from purchase to spending for uh, from purchase to spending on Lightning in less than five seconds. Zap founder Jack Mallers told Bitcoin Magazine. 
Mallers said he and his team have been working on the feature aptly dubbed Olympus for about a year. It's similar in function to SparkSwap's desktop application, which also allows for direct-to-lightning wallet buys through its technical structure. Zap's a little bit more complex, according to Mallers. His wallet uses something called turbo channels to settle the transactions. And, more, no- more notably, Zap's iteration can be integrated by other Bitcoin companies and service providers as well. Third-party integration would mean more liquidity for both Zap services and the Lightning Network as a whole. The idea, Mallers told us, is to weave a sturdy web of liquidity by creating an easy access point for onboarding users onto Lightning. He doesn't want people to have to wait for well-entrenched services like Coinbase or BitPay to integrate the secondary network for users to have a convenient on-ramp to the technology. Quote, this is really designed to get some of the licensing and regulatory relationships and advanced exchange infrastructure for lightning into the hands of the good guys. Uh, he, uh, he told us adding that zaps end game is to get lightning into the hands of millions of new, less technically tolerant users quote zap has this ambition of getting a million lightning nodes running on individual devices all around the world. Lightning doesn't have a mainstream track yet, and I want to be able to tell no coiners to download zap, enter a debit card and get the lightning payment instantly. Maller stressed that Olympus is a c- completely opt-in standalone service. He made this distinction because buy- the buying option will require a degree of KYC, name, email, and home address. Through Zap's, those apps wallet will still be KYC free for baseline lightning functionality, he assured. The service promises non-custodial instantly deliver purchases of Bitcoin directly into a user's Zap wallet by way of special technical workaround called Turbo channels. BitRefill was the first to leverage this tech with its Thor turbo channels. Though BitRef- through BitRefill, users can purchase a channel with Bitcoin, a few alts, their Coinbase account, or with their BitRefill balance. Maller said the Zap solution is the first to allow direct bank to Bitcoin cash tr- or Bitcoin cash trades for turbo channels. Additionally, the team had to adapt the concept originally coded in the Eclair Lightning language for the more popular LND implementation. The pioneering channel creation mechanism allows users to spend purchased funds in their Lightning wallet immediately without waiting for the transaction that funded their wallet to be confirmed on chain. When you set up a Lightning wallet, you first have to make a funding transaction. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Turbo forgoes the need for immediate on-chain validation. It works like this. If you are buying sats from Zap, the wallet provider creates a channel for you and pushes Bitcoin to you in the channel. So if you bought 10,000 sats through the app, Zap creates the payment channel and pushes the 10,000 sats to your side of the channel in exchange for cash. This creates instant liquidity on your end of the channel and the funds can be spent immediately. Quote, previously, the user story read like this. Take fiat. Buy Bitcoin, wait until you're allowed to withdraw, withdraw and wait for confirmations, deposit Bitcoin onto the Lightning Network, open channels, wait for more confirmations, scan QR, co- scan QR code, not anymore, Maller said in a blog post announcing Olympus. As with BitRefill's Thor service, when you use Olympus, you're actually buying a turbo channel from Zap that is preloaded with sats, which is basically a more complicated way of saying that you're buying Bitcoin on Lightning, Maller said, as such. 
The service requires a certain level of trust because Zap acts as a central hub of liquidity, though it isn't much different from Lightning wallets and other services offering their nodes as routing hubs and setting up bi-directional payment channels for their users. There's also the trade-off of not waiting for on-chain confirmations to begin transacting, though Maller said that users can choose to wait for the channels to reach however many confirmations they like. Zap may also offer alternative modes of delivery, such as regular lightning invoices, or in the case of in the case that the buyer wants on-chain settlement, submarine swaps. Zap is tapping into a Chicago liquidity provider to supply Olympus with a steady pipeline of Bitcoin. Maller's aspiration is that Olympus will expand well beyond Zap's influence to other Bitcoin services. Chief among these, he says, the wallet's been working with Square's Cash App and BTC Pay Server to spur lightning adoption among merchants. This follows fresh news that Cash App has allocated a grant to fund future BTC Pay Server development. The central pledge is a welcome windfall for the payment processor as it is subsistent on purely open source development and funding throughout its two-year lifespan. If all goes according, if all goes as planned, Zap, Cash App, and BTC Pay Server synergizing their services could set the stage for a breakthrough in Lightning merchant adoption. A common hang-up for processing Lightning payments for vendors has been converting to fiat to mediate Bitcoin's volatility. Currently, no solutions exist to offer a reliable on-off ramp from Lightning to fiat. Though, if Maller's vision comes to fruition, Zap's new product may finally have produced a solution. And this doesn't stop at Cash App. Other Lightning wallets, exchanges, and Bitcoin services can integrate Zap's solution without even running their own node to provide channel liquidity. Zap's got the sats. All they need to do is open a channel with Zap's node and support the LND version of Turbo, which Mallers plans to open source over the coming weeks. Quote, everyone building on Lightning should be able to leverage the infrastructure work we've done to get here, so Olympus will be available to any external app, product, business, Etc. to use. Mallers wrote in the post. God, Jack, you're just on freaking fire. For now, the services will or the service will be available as a closed beta for which you can register here. And clearly, here is actually a link. Mallers hopes to open it to the public in the coming months, but he wants to ride out a re, uh, ride out a recently discovered bug in Lightning software before injecting more liquidity into the network. Once enough Lightning developers give the all clear, he'll take it out of beta. To start, Olympus is only available in the U.S., though Zap hopes to expand to other countries in the near future. He also plans on upping channel limits to accommodate Wumbo channels. Yes, that means very big channels, which could hold up to one BTC. But for now, Zap's turbo channels will play within the boundaries of accepted channel limits, about 0.04 BTC to 0.05 BTC. So, again... Mallers and his crew completely, completely kicking ass. What else we got up here? Um, yeah, Bitwise tells the SEC Bitcoin now a regulated market of significant size. This is Jack Martin's coin. Jack Martin writing for Coin Telegraph sometime this morning. Crypto index fund provider Bitwise Asset Management has given another presentation to the United States Securities and Exchange Commission in its bid for regulatory approval of its proposed Bitcoin exchange-traded fund. In in a memorandum issued September the 17th, the SEC published Bitwise's presentation outlining why it believes the regulators' concerned concerns have been largely addressed. The presentation started by recapping how the market has evolved and improved over the past two years. Firstly, the spot market has become more efficient, with the average deviation of Bitcoin prices across the top 10 exchanges falling 
although this was just below 1% back in December of 2017, and now it has dropped further to under 0.1%. In addition, many new institutional-grade Bitcoin custody services are springing up and receiving licenses from local jurisdictions to manage and store Bitcoin for clients. Meanwhile, this year has seen record Bitcoin futures volumes on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, suggesting that the regulated futures market is now of significant size. Bitwise also notes that following research published earlier this in the year that 95% of trading volume is fake, there have been several developments. Data providers responded by implementing measures to ensure reported data was more accurate, with exchanges reporting a drop in volume of more than 90%. Data patterns on certain other exchanges shifted to match the real-world patterns witnessed by Bitwise, but overall, there is now greater awareness of the existence of fake volume and more exchanges are taking steps to address these concerns. Overall, the efficiency of the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency market continues to increase, along with volumes at the top 10 exchanges. Bitwise hopes that this will allay the SEC's concerns over its BTF, ah, BTF, uh, might as well call it the Bitcoin Exchange Traded Fund application and finally give it a green light next month. However, SEC Chairman Jay Clayton recently reaffirmed his, his assertion that more regulation is needed before Bitcoin is traded on major traditional exchanges. And to that, I say, what if we didn't need your tra- major traditional exchanges? Because some of these guys are getting pretty freaking big. So you may not be as all that relevant in the future as you might hope you are. So there's that. Uh, Continuing on, Verizon just won a patent to create virtual SIMs on a blockchain. God, what could possibly go wrong with this? Daniel Palmer, writing for Coindesk, says, Telecommunications conglomerate Verizon is eyeing the use of blockchain technology to underpin the dynamic creation of virtual SIM cards. The company was granted a patent with the United States Patent and Trademark Office for the concept on September the 10th, in which it sets out how it how the innovation invention could do away with pre-inserted branded physical SIM cards. The patent describes how a physical SIM card can be replaced by a software equivalent, a virtual SIM or vSIM, that is secured with blockchain-based encryption. A device on the mobile network would create a user account for storing one or more vSIMs and a selection of network services to be associated with the account. The network device then creates a blockchain record, including a vSIM certificate for the network services and an international mobile subscriber identity, IMSI, a number that uniquely identifies all users of a cell phone network. The vSIM certificate is then linked to the user account and can be activated on a client's mobile device. Participating nodes on the distributed consensus network would maintain a list of records that Verizon calls a vSIM blockchain. This would be secured for malicious tampering by storing timestamp transactions in cryptographically secured blocks. Records on the vSIM blockchain would be stored in a hash tree structure for efficiency and to ensure that blocks are receiving undamaged and unaltered according uh, are received undamaged and unaltered according to the patent. Notably, the vSIM can be assigned any of multiple mobile devices linked to the user's account and transferred between the devices. It could also be temporarily assigned to other users, says Verizon. Backing it, up, backing it all up, 
would be a vSIM platform hosted by the mobile network provider that stores a user repository of vSIMs using a number of application programming interfaces, according to the patent quote. In one implementation, users can accept new vSIM certificates into a user account, transfer a vSIM among client devices associated with the user account, or deliver a vSIM certificate to another user. This would appear to suggest that, say, a company could purchase a number of vSIMs, assign them to its staff at will, and later reassign them to other employees using that system. Verizon has previously backed a $15 million funding round for Filament, a firm working on blockchain hardware for the Internet of Things. I don't know, man. I mean, SIM swapping is bad enough as it is. You know, they put this shit on AWS and that thing gets hacked. I, I mean, I don't know. It just, it doesn't sound like you would need a blockchain for this. Although, I mean, it might work, but... uh I don't know. Something about this kind of uh, gives me the gives me the willies to, to be quite frank. Okay, finishing up, we got Jimmy Aki writing for Bitcoin Magazine. Bitcoin now available at every Seven Eleven store in the Philippines. This is from yesterday. Abra, creator of crypto, a cryptocurrency investment app, wants to bring Bitcoin to retail users across the Philippines. In a blog post published on September the 18th, 2019, Abra announced that it would be partnering with EC Pay, a payment processing service, to provide cash to crypto options at over 6,000 retail outlet locations in the Philippines, including all 7-Eleven convenience stores in the country. The Philippines is an active cryptocurrency community which has been aided by a friendly central bank, the Banco Central NG Filipinas, or BSP, that has granted operational permits to over 13 exchanges in the country. Quote, using new digital tools that open up financial access shouldn't be hard, Aubra noted in the announcement, and they shouldn't be complicated. Moving cash to crypto and other digital assets should be simple and fast. That's why we are really excited to announce our new partnership. By collaborating with EC Pay, EC Pay, Abra will now be listed on the bills payment option of all Click EC Pay financial service kiosks in the Philippines, as well as on the app. Customers can now deposit money into their Abra wallet. Abra notes that the minimum deposit value is PHP 500, about $9.59 U.S. And there, and there is a PHP 100,000 or 1,900 dollar daily cap on how much can be deposited so that kind of sucks but well whatever all transfers will provide a receipt which can now be used to complete transactions at checkout post Aubra adds that funds will be accredited within one to two business days over the years Aubra has been at the forefront in the fight for bitcoin adoption in february 2019 the company shook both the cryptocurrency and financial industries when it launched a new feature that allowed tra traditional investors to purchase stocks with the use of bitcoin Essentially, this allowed cryptocurrency investors in all of the countries where Abra maintains its operations to make stock trading investments, buy shares from companies which issue stocks on public markets, and purchase exchange-traded funds, all from the comfort of their smartphones. In an interview with Bitcoin Magazine in June 2019, Bill Barhart the, chief's, the company's chief executive noted that within a few weeks of the feature's launch, Abra had been able to get over 14,000 equity wallets. As he points out, the feature's biggest selling point is the fractional investing capability, which allows investors to purchase stocks with as little as five bucks. So I can imagine, you know, imagine 
sitting on the toilet and trading stocks with Auburn and Bitcoin. Yeah, I know. It's not a pretty picture. Certainly isn't a pretty picture to end with, but I guarantee you that I guarantee you that's happening right now. Anyway, that's going to do it for your morning roundup. Your vital statistics brought to you by bitinfocharts.com. We've got Bitcoin at $10,170. It looks like the high is going to be somewhere around, it's going to be at P2P, B2B at $10,187. And it looks like the low is at Bitstamp at $10,158. 336,000 transactions were sent over the last 24 hours, 14,000 being sent per hour. 807,000 BTC have been sent over that period. And 33,666 BTC are being sent per hour on average. 2.4 BTC is the average transaction value, while the median transaction value is 0.027 BTC, or right around 269 bucks US. Block time's low at 9 minutes and 14 seconds. And it appears that we have 0.2 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis, and 32 uh, we'll say 33 BTC being taken overall in fees in the last 24 hours. We've had a loss of about 10% in a hash rate, but we're still at 90 exahashes per second, people. My God almighty. Last uh, commit to the uh, Bitcoin core repository was sometime yesterday. Ethereum is at 216. Bcash is at 317. Litecoin is at 75. BSV is at 124. Ethereum Classic is six and a quarter, kind of. Dogecoin is limping along at 0.0027. And with 25,000 transactions, it doesn't beat a damn thing. So I guess I'm going to have to stop doing that. All right, Mempool, brought to you by mempool.space. Uh, we have, we're nine blocks deep into the mempool with about 16,000 unconfirmed transactions. Uh, so there's your vitals. All right, guys, um, we're going to do Duke Ellington's caravan again. Yeah, I know. We're going to do the same thing twice, but here's why. If you listen to Wednesday's uh, segment, uh, the song segment, we were I was talking about how this particular song, especially with jazz musicians, kind of ends up being something that is a, something more of a canvas for the individual musicians to uh, paint upon rather than uh, some kind of strict rule. Even even Duke Ellington did not really, I mean, he never played this thing the same way twice. This song absolutely 100% begs to be played differently every single time. And I'm not talking about just in like imperceptible nuances. I'm talking about which, you know, uh, which instrument is going to take center stage. Sometimes it's the clarinet. Sometimes it's something else. You know, it's, it's, it really is just a canvas. And I would love to be able to tell you the name of this band that did this rendition, but the only video, and it's really good, but the only video I could find has absolutely no mention of the musicians, what their name is, if they're in a band. I've never seen them before, but they're damn good. So we're, we're going to spin up Duke Ellington's Caravan one more time.
So I had to reach out to the community today to find a daily train wreck because the morning was just batshit crazy. Um, I just, and I, I, you know, I try to set some things up the night before the show, but I I didn't, didn't come across anything that was train wreck worthy. This one is, and it was given to me by, oh God, hold on. Yeah. At TMSBTC. Um, yeah, he, he, he turned me on, onto this one. Uh, let's see here. It, we'll just start. It's, it's, it's a Twitter exchange between, uh, Anthony Pompliano, Mr. Hodel, and a guy named CU under woo two. So let's just, it's, it's very, it's short. Anthony asks, shill me your wildest Bitcoin or crypto prediction. Mr. Hodel writes back. By 2021, Bitcoin will be trading over $48,326. Then uh, CU Underwoo 2 writes back and says, very, very delusional, to be honest. Mr. Hodel writes, I've heard this many times over the years. I normally don't make predictions. And here it is. At CU Underwoo 2 says, you were not here before 2017. Yeah, the mere suggestion that Mr. Hodel wasn't around before 2017 is laughable. I've been following this guy for a long time. Um, yeah, no, this is just this is just bad. I mean, it's just it's just bad. It's not the worst train wreck in the world. Certainly, there have been there have been other ones, but you know, calling out somebody that you know nothing, calling out like something a bit like this to somebody that you clearly know nothing about is probably 
not the best way to get a Twitter following. So there's your daily train wreck smoldering pile in the corner. And we're going to move right in, right smack dab into the terrible joke. I gave all my dead batteries away today, free of charge. Yeah, terrible, man. Just utterly bad. So, okay, Friday. It is It is Friday. Uh, it is weekend time. I hope everybody does enjoy their weekend. Go cook some steaks out on the grill. You know, do, you know, hang out with the kids, you know, and I guess we should probably stop looking at the price because it's just going to bounce around $10,000 for God knows how long. I don't know. You know, it's just like, uh, I, I, it's kind of, the price is actually kind of boring. The news is actually a little boring too, man. I mean, it's just this, not as, God, you remember, remember 2017? And it was just such, it was so much fun, except it was punctuated by some really terrible things. But overall, it was just so much fun. So keep the memes coming, guys. You know, let's entertain each other while we while Bitcoin figures out what the hell Orange Coin is going to do. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and... And I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.